0: That's a Cubs reference for all of you over here. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Oh, I do love that, though. Only God can give direction to the dawn, right? That's just good stuff. All right, hope you're having a good day today. We got the corner fair going on today. That's going to be fun. We got baptisms today. That's going to be even more fun, right? So some good stuff there. And we're going to look into Scripture today. Thank you, thank you, that's good, okay, because otherwise I'm going to come down there, so uh, good stuff. Hey, before we look into scripture, uh, some things that are coming up, we have this this, uh, series of classes called Begin, Belong, Become, and we did the begins recently to get ready for baptism, but we got Belong coming up in a couple of weeks, and so this is the place where we tell the story of Lakeside and how do you get connected, how do you get involved and those kind of things. And then the Become class is coming where we talk about how do you become like Jesus in following Him. So that's cool. We got our uh, Lifecraft series, which is coming up starting early in November. And it's about the journey we take with Jesus and how do we help others uh, join with us. How do we live as followers of Christ or, as the Bible calls it, disciples of His So that's coming up. Check that out. And then we've been talking this year or recently for this next year about these five crafts of a well-crafted life, right? We we believe that followers of Jesus live a well-crafted life. And so there's scripture and prayer and generosity and connection and service. And if you chose, we ask everybody to choose one of those crafts for the year to focus on. If you chose service, we got this thing coming up called the Shape Workshop. And it's all about how God has shaped you to serve others, to be able to use the gifts God's given you to, to, sh- to serve others. And uh, so I'd love to have you come to that, especially if you said service is my craft this year. But even if not, if you haven't been through it yet, it's really, really helpful. So check that out. There's a lot of stuff listed on the front page of Lakeside Life, all the way through there. Check it out. Get involved where it relates to you. That's all I have to say about that. All right, good. Uh, let's pray and then we'll look into Scripture. Father in heaven, thanks very much for this day. It's a good day and we're grateful to you for it. We're grateful for the people that are getting baptized today. We're so excited for them and we're going to hear some great stories about how you're moving in people's lives. So thank you for that. Uh, Lord, thank you that for every one of us, you are drawing us towards you. Uh, Some of us have been walking with you for a long, long time. We love you and we're just here to celebrate who you are and what you're doing. We're asking you to move us forward in this journey with Jesus. Lord, some of us have been walking with Jesus for a long time, and today we've hit a hard spot for a number of different reasons. Health issues, money issues, family issues, relationship issues. There's a lot of stuff. And for some of us, that creates a, a speed bump in our journey with you. And so I just pray for them, anyone who's struggling in their journey with you, that you'll bless them today and draw them towards you today. And may they um, have another glimpse of your character and your goodness today. And Lord, there are some among us who haven't really even started that journey with you yet. They're, they're investigating who you are and what you're like, and they're just trying to figure you out. And so I pray that you'll help them as well. And, th- and may the things we talk about, may the things that we celebrate today, may those be helpful for people that are entering into this journey with you, this life with you. And Lord, bless them. So as we open up your book today, open up your heart to us. And teach us about your son, Jesus, and how do we honor him well. Thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, I have a good idea. Let's talk about the election today. Would, you, would that be all right? Not so much? Okay, let's just close in prayer, because that's what I planned. Uh, okay, let me ask you this. Um, how many, how many of you have decided where you're moving after the election is over? Because <laughs> see, I don't, know, I don't know about this, but it seems like in about, in about 16 days, half of the country is going to pack up and sell their house or put it on the market. Nothing will sell because the market will tank when this happens. But you're going to put your house on the market for sale and you're going to move. And some of you are going to go to Mexico. But you're worried because you're not sure you can get back in. And some of you are moving to Canada because you're like, I don't want to get back in. You know, so I, don't, I don't know where you're going when this election's over, but that's not really what I want to talk about. I really want to ask this question. How can I win if my candidate loses? One of the interesting things about democracy is it creates winners and losers, Whoever loses this next election will have millions, tens of millions of people who vote for them. And at the end of that process, they, they're, all those voters are going to feel like they lost and like they're on the outside, like they've been disenfranchised from the process. It, it, it just kind of creates that. And so come November 9th, half the country's going to feel like, man, I'm not a part. How does this work? And I want to know, how can I win even if my candidate loses? And maybe even a more important question to ask is, how can I win if in fact my candidate wins? Because that may be hard too. I remember the first time I walked into an organization, it was called SADD, S-A-D-D. Have you heard of that? Have you? It's called the Society of Adam's Downcast Descendants. You haven't ever heard of it because I made it up for this weekend. <laughs> But it's a group. It was a real group. I walked into them when Lakeside Church existed in our old facilities across town. So this is 24 years ago. It was on November 4th, 1992. Remember that date? It's a date that for some of you will live in infamy. Because that was, that was the day after Bill Clinton was elected to his first term as president. And I had a small group, a men's group, a, a men's Bible study group that was meeting in those days. We met in the old church building. And there was about 10 of us or so. And I walked into the group that day. And I'm telling you, if you didn't know what happened, you would have thought the BFF of every one of those guys died the day before. I've never seen so many long faces in my life all in the same room at the same time. Apparently, all the guys in my small group, they were all not Bill Clinton supporters. So when he, elect, when he was elected, when he won the election, they're like, so sad. It was like, it was like Y2K. Remember Y2K? Remember like the end of the world as we know it? Only it happened eight years before that. It was like the end of the world as they knew it had happened, or the end of the world as they wanted it had happened, and they didn't know what to do with that. It was such a depressing day for them. It's the first time, that day was the first time I remember hearing the phrase, he's not my president. And now here we are, 24 years later, and we're in another election cycle, and nobody's having any fun, and nobody's enjoying the process, and nobody thinks we're winning. And I want to know, is it possible that I can win even if my candidate loses? Is it possible that people who are followers of Jesus might win even if their candidate loses? And I want to know what God says about it. So we've been walking through the scriptures in the book of Romans for the last six months or so. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to take the next step in that passage. And it's fascinating that the Bible actually talks about what we're going through right now. So it's in Romans chapter 13. Uh, Look it up if you can. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's someone on the chair next to you. Uh, you can use your smartphone and look up the Version Bible app, if you like. That'd be a, a place to find some notes that we put together for you uh, and all the scriptures that we'll look, about, look at today. Or you can just listen. That's fine as well. All right, Luke, or, uh, Luke, sorry, Romans chapter 13. Let's hear what the Apostle Paul says to us and to this church that he was writing to. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now that letter was written to a church in Rome 2,000 years ago. But we, as we have found in this journey through the book of Romans, we have found that it's relevant to us today over and over and over. And so today I want to find out how that's relevant for us in our world, in this generation, in this season. There are three words that are listed for us in, or that are presented for us in Romans chapter 13, and I just want to highlight those three words and then talk about some applications from this passage. So the first word that you come to, in English it's actually two words, but in Greek it's one word uh, in which Paul wrote this. So the first phrase is, be subject. I want everyone to be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject. It's the Greek word "hupatasso." It literally, and you don't have to remember that, but it's a word that means to put something under something else. Like I, I take my notes and I put them under my Bible. That's the word. I make my notes subject to the Bible, which is probably a good idea for pastors to do. To put something under. It's the exact same word if you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 5. I know I know some of you are. It talks about husbands and wives and Parents and children and masters and servants. And at the beginning of that whole passage, it says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's this mutual submission thing. And if you've ever heard me talk about Ephesians chapter 5, you know that I will tell you this. To be subject to one another means to put yourself under somebody else to hold them up. So here's Paul using the same word now to talk about our governing authorities. And he says, I want you to put yourselves under the governing authorities to hold them up. What would it be like if all the Christ followers in the country put ourselves under our governing authorities to lift them up? What kind of a nation would we live in? What kind of a city would we live in if we did that together? That's the first thing he describes for us. Now, the second word that I want you to see is the word establish. Establish. He says in, this, in the end of the first sentence there, he says, For there is no authority except that which God has established. And then in case you didn't get it the first time, then he says it again a different way. He says the authorities that exist have been established by God. So there is no authority unless God established it. And the authorities that exist have been established by God. And the word established is a Greek word. It's the, it's the word tasso. So we had tasso, and now we have tasso. And tasso is a word that just simply means to Put. To place something. So he says, every authority that exists in the world, God put it there. And he says, I want you to put yourselves under that authority that God put there. Now that's a really hard concept for us to lean into, isn't it? I mean, I'll tell you, if you're a Hillary hater, you're going to have a very hard time leaning into that thought. If you're a never Trump kind of person, you're going to have a very hard time putting yourself into that thought. But that's what he says. There is no governing authority except the ones that God has put there. Now, you may think, this is impossible. How could, how could Paul actually write this to us and actually ask us to like, honor our governing leaders and respect them and put ourselves? How could he ever ask us to do that? Well, just take a time out for a second and realize that he didn't originally write this to us. You go, oh, good, I don't have to obey it then. No, no, he didn't, he didn't originally, initially write it to us. He wrote it to a church that was in the city of Rome, which was the capital of the Roman Empire, and it was governed by, well, who was the president? Who was the president that was elected that, that year when, when, you know, that season when he was writing this? Do you remember who was president of Rome? Oh, that's right. They didn't have a president. They had this, they had this little thing called an emperor. His name was Nero. Nero was not a nice man. We we name dogs after Nero. We don't name our sons after him these days. Nero, the man who burned down over half of the city of Rome in the process of trying to clear space, clear land for his palace that he wanted to build, but the fire got out of control, and he burned down more than half the city. Nero, who needed someone to be a scapegoat for that fire that he started that got out of control, and so he found this little group of people called Christians, and he blamed them. And took out the city's wrath on them. Nero, who murdered his own mother. Nero, for whom no one ever got to vote. And he was in power when Paul wrote this letter to Roman Christ followers. If you find it hard to do what Paul describes for us in Romans 13, imagine if you were a Roman Christian 2,000 years ago. In our, in our history as a planet, we have had some good rulers. There have been some good leaders over the course of history. I think of Abraham Lincoln. I, mean, I, I think he's my, I think he's my top dog in this fight. you know he's like a man of such integrity and such character and such Backbone and such determination and such a desire to do what is good and do what is right. Amazing leader. And he paid for that with his life. I think of Winston Churchill, and I don't know everything about his life as a leader, but he was one of the leaders that held the world together during World War II, that stood against Hitler, who was a really bad leader at the same time. I think of King David, going back now, now thousands of years to King David, and, and you realize his story is written for us in the Scripture, and the Bible even calls King David a man after God's own heart. And everyone, They sang songs about David, like nice ones. <laughs> and yet, even, even really good leaders have bad days. Even really good leaders make some bad decisions sometimes. King David, who was called a man after God's own heart, stole another man's wife and then murdered her husband so he could marry that woman when she became pregnant with his child. Oh, hey God, in, in, what, in what world is that a guy after your own heart? How does that play out? How is that possible? It's because even good leaders make bad decisions sometimes. Sometimes. And then, of course, in our world, we have a history of bad leaders, really bad leaders. I could start this one with King Herod, who comes from the pages of Scripture. King Herod was the king of Israel. He was the king of the Jews. When some wise men came from the east and they showed up at Herod's palace and they said, Hey, tell us, tell us where the one who is who is born, king of the Jews, has been born. Where is he? And Herod said, well, what are you talking about, king? I'm the king of the Jews. And they said, no, there's one that's been born. A new king of the Jews has been born. He's like, what are you talking about? I didn't have a son. And Herod was afraid of a child that was born in the Bethlehem area during these days of his reign. And so he went, he calculated the time that the wise men had seen this star, and he counted backwards, and he probably counted forward a little bit just to make sure he got everybody, and he killed every two-year-old boy in the... Region of Bethlehem. That's a that's not a bad leader, that's a bad man. And sometimes bad men become leaders. I think of Henry the I don't know all that he did as King of England in his generation five hundred years ago, but I know that he wanted a male heir to his throne and he beheaded two of his wives in the process of trying to find someone that can give him a male heir. I don't know if he was a bad leader, but he was a bad man. And, and we, can't even, we can't even talk about Hitler in this conversation. I mean, really? Paul... No authority exists except God has put them there, and you go, sure, King David, sure, and he made a mistake, he messed up, it's really bad, sure, but really Hitler, it, how do you get your head around that? We may have, have to have some more conversations about just how that works. But here's what here's what Scripture says about God. He says, God has put the authorities who are in authority, he's put them there. And he says, he wants us to put ourselves underneath those authorities to hold them up. And then the third concept that I want you to hear from Paul is this little word, rebel. Verse 2, he says, Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. The word "rebel" is the Greek word "antitasso." So you have "tasso," which means to put something in place. You have "hupitasso," which means to put yourself under something else, and then you have "antitasso," which means to put yourself against something else. It's a wordplay, and the people in Rome when they read the letter, they're like, "Oh, he's doing a play on words." And we miss that in English because it doesn't come out that same way. But it's a play on words. It's about who puts what where. And he says, you who are followers of Christ, I want you to put yourselves under the authorities God has put there and not put yourself against those authorities. That's how he lays it out. In the end of all that, I go, well, what does God want for us? What does God want from us? What is he asking for? There's at least three applications that I get to when I read this passage. I go, go, here's three things I have to do. You might find more things that you have to do, but here's at least three things that I have to do when I read this. Number one, I have to pledge and practice respect for my authorities. Whether that's the mayor of our city in Folsom, whether that's my state assembly person or my state senator, whether it's my governor Whether it's my congress person, whether it's my senator who serves my whole state in the nation's capital, and whether it's my president. I have to pledge and practice respect for that person. I remember 1993. Now it's two and a half months after I walked into the group called Sad. It's two and a half months since President Clinton had been elected for his first term and now it's Inauguration Day, January 20th, 1993. President Clinton that day was going to go through the inauguration process and then he was going to go to the inaugural parade and then he was going to go to many inaugural balls. And at the end of the day, somewhere in that day, he went into the Oval Office for the first time as president. And what he found in the Oval Office that day, his first day as our nation's president, what he found was a letter left by the last man to occupy that office that morning. And it turns out that George H.W. Bush, in his last act as president of the United States, sat down at his desk in the Oval Office and wrote a handwritten letter to his successor who had defeated him. And here's what he wrote in the letter. Dear Bill, when I walked into the office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success now is our country's Success, I am rooting hard for you. Good luck, George. That's an amazing letter from a man with amazing power. Remember last week we talked about Romans chapter 12, we talked about meekness and how do we live out this life that God calls us to? That letter is meekness. It is power under control. Only one word in that letter is underlined. It's the word our. O-U-R, our. He said, you will be our president when you read this note. And I'm like, George, who's we? I mean, you got a mouse in your pocket, who's we? You know, you speak for yourself. Like, well, who's who's our? Well, if you know anything about President Bush, George H.W. Bush, if you know anything about him and you know his love relationship with his wife, Barbara, you're certain, I'm certain, that when he writes our, you will be our president. He's saying, you'll be Barbara's and my president when you read this note. That in itself is an amazing statement. But I think he wrote a broader note than that. I think his hour referred to something bigger than just him and Barbara. I think it referred to us. You will be our president when you read this note. This for the man who was defeated by the one he's writing the note to. And then he wrote, I am rooting hard for you. I wonder what kind of president we would get if he knew or she knew that we were rooting hard for them. I think what George H.W. Bush described in his note is meekness. I think what he described is putting yourself under somebody else whom God has put in authority. He said, I'm not going to push against you. I'm going to root hard for you. What kind of president will we get if he knew that all the followers of Jesus in the country or at least all the followers of Jesus in one church in Folsom, California were rooting hard for them? What difference would it make? It would make a ton of difference. Because that would represent a whole church of people that are saying, what God says in his word, I practice, I do that. See, when we refuse to give respect to those who are elected or put in place to serve over us, to serve as our leaders, when we push against that, when we don't put ourselves under that, we undermine the gospel. Letter to the Romans is all about the gospel. And when we don't practice what it says, we undermine the gospel. I pledge and I will practice respect for my leader. My leaders, all of them. Sabah Ghul, who is a resident of Pakistan, tweeted. A note, when this letter from George Bush came out again recently, she said, a long, long time ago in a land far, far away, politics had grace. Who better to give politicians grace than those who have received grace from the King of Kings? I wrote a pledge of respect for me to live out this Year, this next four years. I wrote it this way. If Donald Trump wins this election and becomes president, he will be my president. I will give him honor and respect because that is due his office. This is the calling of my king. Or, if Hillary Clinton wins this election and becomes president, she will be my president. I will give her honor and respect because that is due her office. This is the calling of my king. See, in the way God set up the governing authorities, there's always a king over the president. There's always a king over the emperor. There's always a king over the governor. and That king is my king. So when he asks me to behave in a certain way toward my rulers or leaders or governors or whoever they are, it's incumbent on me to do what my king says. Which leads to the second application point for me, which is I may need to refocus my allegiance. You may need to refocus your allegiance. Here in America, we're like, we say the Pledge of Allegiance. We, we pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. So we pledge allegiance to our country and that's a great thing. I do that. But you should know that I have an allegiance higher than my country. I have an allegiance to the King of Kings who asks me to give respect to my president and my congresspeople and the rest. In Psalm 118 verses 8 and 9, there's this statement. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And if this were written in our generation, you could add another line that says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in presidents. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't be involved in politics. Some of you are involved in politics by your job. Awesome. Some of you are engaged in politics by your avocation. You're like, this really matters. It matters to me. And so you're involved and you knock on doors and you make phone calls and, you know, whatever those things are, you you give money to it. Whatever those things are, awesome, fantastic, be involved. But be involved in a way that you practice respect for those who are put in the office. Whether they're the one you voted for or not. That's what he's calling us to do. He's saying, refocus your allegiance. That Psalm 118 is called a messianic psalm, which doesn't mean it's a mess. It means it's about the Messiah, Jesus. So here's a song written hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. And the song about Jesus says, Better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Or humans, or political parties. Refocus your allegiance because there's a king over the president. And the third thing that I find as an application from this is to craft your prayers. I want to craft my prayer. So we're talking about these five crafts, right? Scripture, prayer, generosity, connection, and service. We're talking about these five crafts this year. It's who we are as followers of Jesus. What if, what if you were to take the craft of prayer and you were to craft prayer on behalf of those who were our leaders? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, same one who writes Romans, he writes this letter to his protege, Timothy, and he says this, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. If you don't particularly like the next person who wins the presidency of our nation, or any other office of government, if you don't particularly like that person, if that's not the person you voted for, if your candidate lost, how do you win? Pray for the one who won. If you don't like them, pray hard for them. Pray in a way that stands under them to lift them up. If your candidate won, pray hard for them because half the country is going to be pushing against them. May may that not be us. We have a calling from God to respect those whom he has put over us, whether we voted for them or not. Why? Because this pleases God our Savior. Jesus, I pray for us today. I know that the things we're talking about here in this chapter are really hard for us probably some of the hardest words in Scripture. And yet I know that when you live these things out through us, when we live them out, you are honored, you are pleased, and other people are encouraged. And the gospel is supported. So I pray for us, Lord, that we would look at our own heart, check out where we are, and determine to live that way. Lord, your gospel is true. May we respond to it like it's true. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen.